made stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame and I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain so I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a That old rugged cross, so despised by the world, has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear. That's a great song. What a tremendous message that is. Amen? Well, fellas, if you would, let's take it down tonight again. We're back on our series. We're going to continue with our <clears throat> True Riches series. And so, well, let's see. Let me grab that out of there before we drop it. Good. I just want to try to keep these guys in shape. That's what my real goal has been along the way here. All right. Again, we're dealing with true riches. And we know that the world has their idea of what riches are. And, of course, we know that... Those kind of riches leave us unsatisfied and leave us unfulfilled. But we know that the Word of God has the key to true riches. And uh, we've talked about that along the way. We're basing our study out of Psalm chapter 23. Of course, the Bible says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou knowest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we base our study out of that particular passage, and we learned a couple of things along the way. We said the Lord is my shepherd. That's a relationship. It, I shall not want. That's supply. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. That's rest. We said, He leadeth me beside the still waters. Well, that's refreshment. We said, He restoreth my soul. That's healing. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness. That's guidance. We noted that for His namesake, that's purpose. Boy, we need purpose in our life. Amen? He goes, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We said, Well, that's testing even. And then we said, I will fear no evil. That's protection. For thou art with me. That's faithfulness. The rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That's correction. And we, so we noted these things and we said to ourselves, listen, there are some things that are more valuable than money. There are some things more valuable than material goods. We have true riches as believers in Jesus Christ and we see evidence of that even in this particular passage in the Old Testament in Psalm chapter 23. And so we're going to continue tonight and we're going to start with the next phrase of our, our, our passage, Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And we're going to see before it's over with that that's hope. And again, we, we want to find true riches. And again, the world that we live in is a world that teaches us that there's so many things that provide us with joy or happiness, uh, contentment, and purpose. The problem is they're not really what they're cracked up to be. And, you know, you get away from the Word of God and you get away from the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to find that, as many of you probably have found, and myself as well, it doesn't, it doesn't fulfill, it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't meet our need the way we would hope it would or the way we intended it to or that they said it would. The world does not know anything about true riches. We find that in Christ and we find that in the Word of God. And so tonight, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and then we'll continue with this particular study tonight. Father, I thank you for these that have gathered tonight in this place. Lord, we are just sinners saved by grace. We're so thankful that, Father, you saw fit to come to earth, take on the form of man, being fully God, fully man, dying on Calvary, shedding your precious blood, perfect blood for us, then being buried and raising again the third day. Father, we're so thankful that, Lord, you permit us to come unto you and, Lord, we're thankful that when we call on you, you save us. Now, Lord, again, tonight, we realize that you've endued us and endowed us with some tremendous blessings in our life. And, Lord, tonight, we just want to grab hold of those true riches. We want to understand what that really means and not be deceived by Satan or the world. Uh, Father, we truly want to understand who you are and how we can most bless, be blessed and encouraged. And, Lord, uh, thank you for the true riches. Because, Lord, when we face death, nothing else is going to matter. Help us, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, the psalmist says. And we say that's hope. You know, interestingly enough, the psalmist, of course, in 23 is David. And, of course, he knew something about warfare. He knew something about an enemy. And uh, we know that the uh, king, Saul, was chasing him down, was hunting him down, and 
Then uh, even following him rising to the throne, he finds himself in battle after battle after battle after battle. And uh, yet he says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. I mean, even amidst the ravages of war, he is assured victory, at least in his own mind. He is confident that God is going to deliver him. He's confident that God's going to give him victory that he's going to enable him to overcome. And so this particular psalmist, David, the great king, he has experienced some tremendous victories. I wonder if you've had any victories in your life. I wonder if God has delivered you out of any strongholds or have enabled you to escape the enemy or overcome the enemy in your life at some point. It's so important and it's so valuable to remember those times, to allow God to refresh your memory and say, boy, you know what? I remember when God delivered me from that temptation. I remember when God delivered me through that circumstance or that situation because those will be the kind of things that God will use again in the midst of a difficult time to assure you of a future conquest and a victory. And so he has, very, he has this tremendous confidence that he's going to sit and dine before his enemies in the very sight of his enemies one day. And again, we could talk about the cultural issues there, but because of time, we're not going to today. But the fact is, is that it wasn't uncommon for them to, to, to eat before their enemies in that sense. And so he's saying, I know I'm going to receive the victory because God's on my side and they're going to sit and watch me eat the spoils of their land. And that's something. And so David, the psalmist said, man, there's hope here. There's tremendous hope. And you know, we're all in need even desperate for hope at times. I don't know about you, but I mean, if you get a bad report from the doctor, you're desperate. Uh, you're in need of some hope. Um, if, if, if you find out that your check just bounced, you're desperate. You're in need of some hope. You know what I mean? There's things that happen in our lives to others that we love or care about or even to ourselves, and we're desperate. I mean, we live in a world where if you're a child of God today and you're trying to raise children, you're desperate for hope. You're hoping that Christ will protect and watch over your children, that he'll enable them to grow up to be Christ-like in their life as well. And boy, there's so many issues there. And we thank the Lord for that hope that he gives us. Christ told his disciples of his coming death. And of course, they were extremely discouraged, were they not? And yet the Bible tells us through the word, his word, the Lord's words, he brought them hope. John 14, 1 through 3. Who will read that off the board for me right there? We'll read that. Go ahead, Brother Joaquin. Would you read that? I'll tell you what. The Lord's trying to provide them with some hope now because they're, they're aware that he's going to be leaving. They understand that things aren't going to turn out quite the way they had hoped or planned. And you know, when things kind of go awry in our own lives, they don't turn out the way we plan. Well, I'll tell you what, it can be discouraging. And in this particular case, the Lord Jesus Christ begins to share with them and says, let not your heart be troubled. Well, why not? You believe in God. Don't you believe also in me? Don't you worry about it. I'm going to be here. I'm there. I, as a matter of fact, there's going to be some great things ahead for you. There's going to be a tremendous mansion. I'm going to go build that mansion. And I'm not going to leave you here. I'm going to come back for you. Don't you worry about that. You don't have to try to stay alone and deal with this alone. I'll be back for you. I'm going to receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Boy, he offered some encouragement to them. You know, the next time somebody's discouraged around you, why don't you offer them a little encouragement? But let me encourage you to do something. Don't offer them your encouragement. Offer them God's encouragement. Use the word of God. Give them a verse. Don't just give them your encouragement. See, it's thus saith the Lord, not thus saith Mark O'Donnell. 
Now listen, there's nothing wrong with offering some encouragement, but there ought to be a biblical basis for your encouragement. You'll find that'll go much further and it will be much more effective if we'll learn to find encouragement from the Word of God and then share that with others. So the Word of God is the key to everything. And it was the Lord's words that brought encouragement to His disciples, and it must be His words that do the same in our life as well. So work on that and encourage yourself uh, as you get encouraged through the Word of God. Write a verse down or something. Keep track of it and say, you know what? I think I, I, think I know somebody might be encouraged by this verse. And send it to them. Text it to them or email it to them or possibly share it in a note or a letter. Do something like that. You'll be amazed. It'll be a blessing to them. He goes on to say, Thou anointest my head with oil. Thou anointest my head with oil. Now, that's consecration. Now, the word consecrated here, it is made sacred by ceremonies or solemn rites. Separated, now this is interesting, separated from a common to a sacred use. Devoted or dedicated to the service and worship of God. Made venerable. Now, again, I think it's important. I like that separated from a common to a sacred use. We're talking about being consecrated unto God. Now, we, we understand that there, there are two types of people in the world. There are those that are lost. There are those that are saved. But understand something. Those that are lost can only be uh, basically find a common use. Common use. Uh, uh, listen, you know, I understand that we live in a world where everybody thinks we're all the children of God and everybody's on the same team. And uh, there's no separation or difference between anybody. We're all God's children, all God's creation, and that's all that matters. But the Bible says you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, according to Galatians 3, verse 26. There is an element of faith in Christ Jesus. No faith in Christ, no child of God. And so that's a very, that's a, a, very, that's a point of you know, contention with people. But it, it, it doesn't, you've got to understand again, you know, as kind as we can be, we need to present the truth. As, as, as careful as we can be, we need to give the facts. And the Word of God teaches that there are those that are born into sin, and they will live in sin and die in sin. And there's those that are born again uh, into everlasting life through the blood of Jesus Christ and the, the sacrifice of our Lord. And so there's this element of loss, yes, common use. But then there are the saved that are to be uh, consecrated to a sacred use. See, the moment you get saved, God wants you to do something unique with your life, different with your life. And it's not what you want to do. It's what God wants you to do. And that is a consecrated life, a life that is consecrated or separated for a sacred use. God says, I want you to serve me now. I want you to honor me now. I want you to focus your attention on me now. I purchased you. I bought you with a price. Uh, I, and, and I paid for you in 1 Corinthians. We see that. And so now it's up to you to, to be separated to a sacred use. So we're to be separated from the common use to a sacred use. From serving the world, self, lust, Satan, to serving the Lord Jesus Christ for His purpose and His glory. And, and that, that's as simple as it really is. And we can get into all kinds of elements of separation, and we'll talk about some of that stuff maybe. But consecration is nothing new to God's people. This isn't something that he came up with in the, the New Testament. No, back in Exodus chapter 30, verse 30, the Bible says, And thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. So all the way back there in the Old Testament, back there in the will, uh, in, in, when the, the, the old tabernacle was set up, Aaron and his sons were to be separated unto a sacred use. And that consecration was demanded 
It wasn't something that was voluntary. If they were going to honestly serve in the priest's office, they had to be consecrated. It was a requirement. It wasn't a request. And the fact is, is that the Bible says that we are kings and priests now that we're children of God. Therefore, God doesn't request that we are consecrated unto a sacred use. God demands that we are consecrated unto service unto Him. And we owe God our greatest and best for service unto Him. And we see that here in the Old Testament. It starts way back there. And we see also that consecration played a major role in the preparation even and the construction of the temple. Let's take our Bibles. Look over First Chronicles chapter 29. Even way back there when they were preparing the, the, the tabernacle, we see that the consecration was important and, and essential. You got Samuel and Kings and then Chronicles over there. First Chronicles, that's right before second. Verse one, just helping some of you that were struggling finding it there. Notice it says here in verse 1, 1 Chronicles 29, Furthermore, David, the king, I'll tell you what, let's have somebody else read this. I, I don't want to read all this stuff. Would you, would you read just uh, the first five verses of that? Who will read the last four of it? Okay. Um, it, let, let me just, well, let, me, let me have one of these. Uh, do you have a King James Bible on you? Do it then. You'll do the last four, would you please? Go ahead. Sorry, just that's fine. That's why I'm letting you read and not me. Man, <laughs> mm-hmm. so we have in this passage. Thank you. 
uh, I mean, again, some tough names, so I thought I'd let somebody else stumble through those. But anyway, uh, the fact is, is that we see them now, they're, they're consecrating some things unto the Lord again. A number of them are saving and a number of them are giving just financially. But also we saw here as well in verse 5 that he goes on to say, and who then will, is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? It's not just our giving that needs to be unto the Lord, but it's our, our service unto the Lord. Us as individuals, giving our talents and our abilities and everything that we have unto the Lord, consecrated unto his service. Now again, listen, we serve ourselves often. We want to be honest with us. We serve ourselves most often. You know, anything we need, anything we want, any desire we have, we try to fulfill that. And yet the Bible wants us to understand that although God is there to meet needs in our life, we also need to be very aware that as children of God, it ought to be him who we're seeking to please first. And so we're consecrating. We're separating our, 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 our effort, our work to him and for him in his glory. And we see that in Chronicles there as well as they're preparing the, the temple for construction. And so the priest's office, we see the, even the preparation of the temple. And, uh, and then also as believers, we're to be consecrated from a common to a sacred use as we've noted already. Note the principle, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves. You present your bodies. You present your effort. You present everything you are, all your being, all of it, living sacrifice, holy, except one to God, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable. That's interesting, isn't it? And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove it is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. So we have an element there of being presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. That would include every aspect of our, our being. And so we, we're to present ourselves unto him, consecrated for a sacred use, a sacred use, separated unto a sacred use. And we see the principle. Now, note the practical. In Matthew five sixteen. let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So there's an element here of being separated unto God for a sacred use is not just, well, in my heart, I'm separated unto God. We've got a disconnect today in, 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 in uh, uh, Christianity. The disconnect is this, what goes on in and out. Now, there's a disconnect. There's a problem with that, a big problem. Listen, I understand people say, well, God looks at the heart. I know, unfortunately, God realizes that man doesn't. The only way somebody can see what your heart is is by how you speak and how you act. And that's why when we consecrate ourselves unto the Lord, it's not, just, um, it's not just, I'm behind you all the way, Lord. I'm behind you. I got your back. No, it's, I'm in the battle with you. I'm in it. I'm not just telling you I'm in it. Uh, I'm in it. See, that's the important. When we're consecrated unto a sacred use, then that means... We're in God's house. That means that we are involved in the work of God. That means that we're all in, just like the Cavaliers are now, even without three or four of their players now. They're all in. Well, guess what? As believers, we're all in. We're all in. And so it's important that we understand that and that it, it manifests itself in works, not just in lip service. He's, what did the Lord say? He said, they honor me with their lips, but with their hearts they're far from me. What was he really saying? Well, they got it on their tongue, but it's not in their heart. And you know what happens with what's in your heart? It, it manifests itself out here. Okay, so let's, what are some areas that we're to be separated unto God? 
Oh, by the way, those, those aren't bad words, separation, by the way. Separation is not a bad word. It's a biblical thing. So what are some areas we ought to be separated unto God? What are some areas we ought to be separated unto God? Yeah, go ahead. Our speech, the way we talk, absolutely. I, without a doubt. People ought to know we're Christians. You know, they ought to listen to our speech and go, there's something different about how you talk and how everybody else talks in the office. Yeah, there ought to be a difference, yeah. Okay, how we act, we're, we're maybe honesty, integrity, things like that, that maybe, you know, somebody at the office is stealing pens and pencils maybe, but you would never steal a pen or pencil because I'm a Christian. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, how we dress and how we appear and how we look. Absolutely. There ought to be a distinction there. I, I can go to certain places and they, they're required to wear certain uniforms and someone says, yeah, but that, that's legalistic. Well, they still, they ought to wear it in order to work there. As children of God, we ought to look a certain way and act a certain way too. They ought to be able to tell we're just something unique about us. Yeah. Okay, and what we listen to as far as our music is concerned, without a doubt. I mean, uh, if God is the God of this world, then obviously he's peddling some things and he's using tools to get that into our heart, into our minds, into our bodies. Well, what does he use? Well, let's, if I go back to Babylon and I look at a 90-foot uh, uh, idol, how they identified what that idol was, they bowed down when they heard the music. So the world uses music and so does God. So the question is, what music are you allowing to influence you? So yeah, absolutely, that would be an issue as well. Yeah. What we talk about, the, yeah, absolutely, without a doubt. I mean, there are certain issues that we don't talk about. There are some things that publicly we don't deal with. I mean, the world's very quick to talk about uh, a three-letter word that everybody in the room uh, thinks about, understands, and knows about if they have children here. But you know what? We're not supposed to talk about some of that stuff, and it shouldn't be so commonplace all the time in our lives and in our conversation. We, we ought to guard our hearts. We shouldn't be considering things that the world just says, oh, it's no big deal. Man, that is a sacred thing again. The marriage bed is, is, is honorable. It's, it's undefiled. But listen, all that other stuff going on in the world, that doesn't necessarily mean that God's behind it 100%. Matter of fact, he's not behind a lot of it. We've got to be careful what we talk about. Um, what, right back here, I've got a little guy here. Wait, go ahead, Craig. How we treat others. Very good. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to hear that, Craig. We'll talk about that later. But anyway, um, how we treat others. That's so important, isn't it? I mean, think about that for a minute. I mean, how important is that? You know what? And while we're on that, that's a great one, Craig. And, uh, you know, how husbands treat their wives. How wives treat their husbands. That'd be a good place to start as believers. We wonder why our children grow up believing that Christianity is a joke. Maybe it's because we're really not everything we claim to be in the home. Could it be? I, you never know. Yeah, I got another little guy. Let me let some of these little guys get involved. Yeah. Where we go. Absolutely. We, we ought to be careful that wherever we're going is going to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Absolutely. That's good. That's good. We've we're, we're, we're got a lot of areas we're talking about here. Yeah, go ahead. Big kid right there. Yeah, yeah, you, gotta, you, you know, every area, every aspect, so, val so valuable, so important. Well, those are just, so oh, you got one here? Go ahead. Some 
Yeah. My wife is my wife in the nursery tonight. You got that right. I'm glad I let you share that one because that one hits us all probably a little bit. Anybody ever notice that no one ever goes the speed limit when you're behind them? Drives me crazy. All right. So, so we've noted a couple things again. This is just real important. The, practice, the principle, we're presenting our bodies, every aspect of our being to the Lord Jesus Christ for his service, his glory, for a sacred use now that we're children of God. And it's very practical. It ought to be visible, ought to be uh, audible. We ought to see and hear and, and experience the difference. And then uh, tonight, real quickly, let's just touch this one as we close. My cup runneth over. My cup runneth over. That's abundance. That's abundance. Well, I'll tell you what, the Lord's so good to us. And I know sometimes um, it can seem to the contrary. Uh, we, you know, we get kind of wrapped up in our circumstances and situation and what's going on in our lives. And we can start to feel pretty sorry for ourselves and somehow feel that God has abandoned us and we're on our own again and where did he disappear to and all of that. But we have a God that is extremely abundant. First of all, eternal life. When we think about what God has given us, first of all, just eternally, that, that is abundance. That's an amazing thing. He says in 1 Peter 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Well, we've got a lively hope, and, and there's an abundant life that awaits us, an eternal life that awaits us. And, you know, if we lose perspective, if we can't keep that in sight, then life becomes a drudgery very quickly. It gets difficult, especially amidst turmoil and, and difficult uh, circumstances. But when we can keep our eyes on eternity and realize that, that God has an abundant, eternal life for us, uh, man, I'll tell you what, that's awesome, you know? And, of course, we know that the thief cometh not to steal and to kill and to destroy, but he comes that we may have life and have it more abundant. And so we're thankful to the Lord because every day of our life, he is there to give us abundance. In Psalm chapter 81, verse uh, 10, I like the passage. It says, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. I, I love a positive outlook. I love a positive outlook. And you know who does too? God. God does. Look how many times in the book of Proverbs that he, he, he really is, is um, corrective concerning a critical spirit. Just look at that in the, in, in, the, in the Old Testament, in the book of Proverbs alone. God is not happy with that. He wants us to understand we open our mouth wide, he's going to fill it. What he's saying is there's hope for you. There's prospect for you. There's pro, uh, there is uh, uh, prosperity for you even. Now, we're not just talking about financial. We're talking about spiritual. We're talking about the work of God. I mean, how many bus captains in here uh, have prayed for their buses to, to reach new children for Christ? Well, you know, he says open thy mouth wide. You're praying for what? Three new kids? Why don't you pray for six? Praying for six? Why don't you pray for 12? He says, open thy mouth wide. You're a Sunday school teacher. Maybe, maybe there's children around your block that aren't going to church anywhere. And you're praying, Lord, give me some kids. God's going, good. What are you praying for? I'm praying for one. Why don't you pray for four and go next door and pick the kids up? I'm just saying, let's start praying big and ask God to give us some opportunity. He will provide you opportunity. Hey, you know, the bus ministry started in a personal van. You do know that, don't you? It started in a personal van. Uh, Sherry started uh, picking up children in our van. And I said, and then she started picking up two trips every Sunday. 
No, there was no church paying the gas bills. There was no church paying for that stuff at that point. I was working a full-time job doing that. That stuff was just stuff that we had a heart for. God wanted to do something, and Sherry prayed and asked God to do something. You could do the same thing. How many van loads could you bring in this Sunday? I'm, I'm just saying, we look at things sometimes and think, well, you know, that costs money. I can't afford to do that. What are you talking about? You spend gas to run to the mall and spend all day, you know, drinking latte mochas and all that stuff. Man, put an extra gallon of gas in your van and pick up the neighbor kids around your block and bring them to church. Man, God will bless you for that, and he'll bless those kids too. Wouldn't that be awesome? And they'd be in our Sunday school. And then you charge the teachers for bringing kids in. $5 per child. See, it'll pay itself in the long run. <laughs> Open thy mouth wide. Finally, just a few other verses in John 14, 12. He that verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I shall do, he do, oh, excuse me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. 1720, and Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, uh, for, uh, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible for you. Now, we, we've become rational thinkers in our day. We're good at rational thinking. Uh, I'm not critical. I'm just realistic. You, you know why I know that? Because the, I used to say that stupid stuff when it come to God. When it come to God. Do you hear what I said? Now, listen, you, you, make, you make 50 bucks a, a day at your job, and you come away with 250 bucks a week, and you have $1,000 a month coming in, it's not realistic to think you're going to drive a BMW, a brand-new BMW. Now, be realistic, okay? But wait a second. If God calls you to do something great and seemingly impossible task even, uh, no, that, that right there is not being realistic when you're critical and negative. That's, being a la that's, that's a lack of faith. That's when a man is called to the ministry and he says, well, I can't do that. I got responsibilities, financial responsibilities. What he's basically said is, God, you can't do that. Because, see, God's not expecting you to provide for your family. He says, you obey me and I'll take care of your business. That's the reality of life, folks. And I know so if a man don't work, you don't eat. I know he doesn't. And I never said once that God will never, he'll call you to ministry and tell you not to work. If you think of what, what's going on in this church over the last 20-some years, 21 years has not been work, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. It's hard work. And I don't, I, I'll tell you what, if there's one of you young men in this room, what do we have? 25 or 30 young men considering the ministry over here the other day when Brother Hamlin was here. Let me tell you something. There's not one of you that ought to even consider it if you ain't willing to work 60, 80 hours a week. I'll tell you that right now. Don't even consider it. Don't even think about it. Just go ahead, get your 40-hour week job, and go home. Don't waste your time. Don't waste God's time. Don't waste God's people's time. It takes work to get the job done in the ministry. And this thing about working 9 to 3 in the afternoon, I've heard of that stuff too. You look at what's going on in our ministries today and you see how they're ending up. Here's what I say too, and I just want to throw it out for good measure. If people in the, ministry, if people in the church can work 40 hours a week and then prepare a Sunday school lesson, then go out soul winning on Saturday, and then turn around and spend their whole day Sunday at church, let's see, let's add that all up. And then add it on top to 40. How many hours is that now? Sounds to me like getting close to about 50, 60 hours at least, don't you? 
And yet if a preacher, if one of these young men gets told you need to work 50, 60 hours a week at least in your ministry, you're cheating God and cheating the people you're serving? Well, that's ridiculous. What am I going to do? How am I going to spend time with my family? Why don't you take them soul winning like we're asking everybody else to do? You, you know where I'm going? I'm sorry, but that's just practical. Now we're being practical. Okay, that's how I look at things. And somebody says, that's crazy. Well, whatever. I, 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 I don't know. Maybe I am nuts. I'm like Paul, I guess. I'm, I'm, I'm out of my mind for the Lord. I don't know. But, but I do think it's important. Because in the end, if you don't work hard in anything you do in life, I don't care where it is, what it is. I don't care if you're a tradesman, a police officer. I don't care if you're a teacher, if you're a preacher. If you don't work hard, that's what you're going to get, nothing. And you know what? God will use you if you'll be a hard worker. He'll do something with you. He'll do something with you. But if you're lazy and you won't work hard, we're all done here. It's going to sink. We'll just sink. Can't swim unless you work. So let's stay at it, guys. Let's work hard. And let's trust the Lord with some things. We need nursery workers. We need church cleaners. Church cleaners that are consistent. That'll do it when it's not convenient because they make a commitment to it. Help us out with that. You, if you can help with that, I mean, you can help. Go see Lori about the church cleaning. We need some help. She's done that all these years. Doesn't get paid a dime for that. Okay, listen, it's all volunteers. Uh, anybody wants her job and is willing to do it and can prove they can do it, she'll be glad to turn it over to you. Trust me, that's a big job. And once we get in the other building, for sure, without a doubt, Brother Jerome will be in charge of it. But even then, I think he's going to have to have some people give him a hand, okay? But go see her, would you? That's hard work, though. I... I cleaned the bathroom the other day because it wasn't to, to par and uh, you know we need it clean because when people walk through the doors from Baptist Temple that's the first impression they get in that bathroom and smell stuff all over the floor and in the walls and we got little bus kids running around here on Sunday afternoons folks they, they're not very good aim <laughs> they're not and, and so just be careful with that, all right? When you clean and make sure you clean around behind the toilet, too, not just the toilet. Can you help me with that? I know you say, this is church. We're just talking about doing things thorough for the Lord, amen? All right. Well, anyway, let me just say, too, I, I appreciate all of you. This has been, what, 21 years? 21 years of this. And the Lord's given us the best people in the world. I mean that. Sherry and I have never regretted doing what we do. This is a blessing for us. Pastors tell horror stories at these, some of these places I go. And I can honestly say I don't have those horror stories. The Lord spared me that. And I, I think it's because you, you've, you've just listened to the Lord, amen? And that's important. So stay faithful to Jesus Christ. Just keep loving him. Keep serving him. And give him your best. And in the end, it pays off. Because God's good. He is so good. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for your people.